This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Georgia U.S. Senator Saxby Chambliss. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Ramo AgriFinance, offering a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusiness the right products to prepare for and take advantage of market opportunities. For more information, contact Rabo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senator Saxby Chambliss next. As a leading financial services provider in the United States, Robo AgriFinance adds value using industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and by creating long-term business relationships. Robo AgriFinance offers a comprehensive portfolio of services that gives producers and agribusinesses the right products to prepare for and to take advantage of market opportunities. This comprehensive suite of services includes loans, insurance, middle market, input financing, and effective risk management products. Robo AgriFinance is a division of Rabobank, the premier bank of the global agriculture industry and one of the world's largest and safest banks. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. In his 20-year political career in Washington, Georgia's Saxby Chambliss has been a strong advocate for rural America and agriculture. He's had a hand in approving four different farm bills and said none was tougher than the one Congress approved and the president signed earlier this year. We've had good, strong leadership in the ag community in Washington over the years. Uh, frankly, though, Jeff, we've seen that kind of dwindling down. You look at the makeup of the ag committees now, and while you still have good leadership um, at the top, you're having more and more urban area legislators um, go on the ag committee for different reasons. And production agriculture has had strong advocates, and I would have to say that the the last farm bill was the toughest. Um, all your listeners know that we went through actually two different farm bills before we got one that really I thought uh, was the right answer. So uh, each one of them has gotten tougher. The next one, uh, four years from now, is going to be even tougher than the last one. What do you see as the Cochrane factor? That first policy, uh, some of the folks out of the South weren't satisfied with with uh, that their interests were being met. What role did Senator Cochran play? Jeff, every farm bill is is done in a bipartisan way. It's it's more regional differences than it is uh, Republican and Democrat differences when you get outside, the, particularly the food stamp program and other um, nutrition programs. And the farm bill that passed the first time out of the Senate, you're right, it was not treating the South fairly, in our opinion. And uh, when Senator Cochran came back in, he didn't come in to, to write the other farm bill, he, uh, but it happened to work out that way. And that farm bill that came out of the Senate would not have gone anywhere on the House side. So um, I think Thad Cochran may have had a huge impact. Uh, he and I and 
Senator Bozeman uh, kind of gathered our thoughts and said, okay, here's here's our red line, and this is what it's going to take to get us satisfied. And, and we control a significant number of votes. People in the Senate look to us, so I think they had played a huge role in it. His leadership was important. This was a bill that in the Congress there was debate about splitting agriculture policy and food policy. Do you see that as a threat in the future? No, I don't. I, we have to have urban legislators to help us pass commodity titles that are in conjunction with nutrition title and nutrition programs, Jeff. And that's always been the case. I don't see that changing. I, I don't. I mean, I, people are, I think are starting to understand now that about 80 to 85 percent of the expenditure in any farm bill is for food stamps. And we'll keep pounding that message. But it is necessary, I think, to have them combined to be able to get good compromises and good farm bills. Is the rule vote losing? Um, is the rule voice as strong as it once was in the Congress? You're having more and more urban legislators get elected, but the good thing about um, uh, farm bills and ag policy is that every state has an agricultural interest and you know we think of new york as being new york city but uh gee whiz new york has got dairy apples and uh, all kinds of produce um and we don't necessarily think of them in the commodity way but states like that uh, are hugely important in the case of my state for example you can't win statewide in Georgia without winning South Georgia, and that's the heart of ag country. And you have to uh, you have to court those folks, and they want to make sure that you're going to be representing their interest in Washington, and and uh, they understand how important that that rural voice is. So. Uh, while we're having more and more urban legislators, um, I, I, I don't see the diminishing um, rural voice right now. It may come, but uh, not right now. This policy, the 2014 Farm Act, has a lot more risk management tools than any farm bill before. You've played a big role in reforming crop insurance, and some now say crop insurance has a target on its back with regard to, to the finances side. Why was it important to change crop insurance, and why is crop insurance, why does it need to be preserved? Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, um, the commodity title is what had the target on its back for years and years. We fought over all of those programs because that's where the bulk of the money was going. Uh, historically, crop insurance has not been utilized to the extent it should be utilized in, in southeastern agriculture. But I had been promoting that for 20 years. I thought that was the kind of safety net that farmers were going to have to have at the end of the day. And it turns out uh, my feeling was correct on that. And now, when you look back at, say, the first farm bill I was involved in in 96, um, you could say there was a disproportionate amount spent on commodities versus crop insurance. Now it's just flipped entirely. And that's the reason that crop insurance has a target on its back, and it's the wrong reason. Uh, crop insurance is a valuable tool. Everybody, every businessman, irrespective of what the nature of your business is, uh, has an insurance plan. And now, just because farmers have been been tasked to look to the insurance market as opposed to looking to Washington, 
for some of their safety net. Um, unfortunately, we have a have a target on our back in the area of crop insurance. But I think our arguments are good, and even when we get into the appropriation process next year, the new majority is not likely to come after that, but somebody down the line will. It's probably going to come out of the House side. Somebody will come after crop insurance, and there'll be a huge debate on it. But I'm hopeful we prevail there because that that is a direction we should go. In the discussion on this farm bill, there were those who wanted and still want to put a means test on crop insurance. Those are the same folks who advocate the free market. Uh, particularly when it comes to agriculture. And I would love for us to have a free market where farmers could be um, uh, comfortable that that, that free market is going to generate a good good price for them. And when you have folks who are saying, well, yeah, we want a free and open market, but if... If you uh, if you generate X number of dollars in your farming operation, then you know you're making too much money. You ought not to be able to take advantage of the safety nets. What they fail to realize is that same farmer, if he has one disastrous year, he's going to be wiped out, and he would certainly qualify for insurance the next year, but it'd be too late. So I'm not a fan of means testing to any extent on uh, commodity programs nor on insurance programs. I think the argument is exactly the same, and it's a, it's a hollow argument. It is the Department of Agriculture that negotiates with the crop insurance companies with regard to their return. Uh, do you see that as an area of, of debate? I think that will always be an area of debate, particularly as we see more and more crop insurance being bought. Uh, I think you're going to see RMA uh, continue to try to drill down on that. And if it gets out of proportion, if it gets out of hand, they would be justified in making some changes. But if if not, then I hope they'll. I just hope they'll be reasonable. Everybody's entitled to work hard and and generate money from sales. Um, but if it's if it is disproportionate, then all of a sudden the farmer's the one that's being taken advantage of, and that should not happen. And hopefully, RMA will not let that happen. From the agriculture perspective, a huge pair shift in commodity prices for grains, livestock doing a little bit better. Uh, the nutrition programs are the biggest portion of the overall spending of the USDA budget. Senator, do you think this farm bill is going to be able to save the kind of money that we projected that it would? I think it will. Um, this year, as you say, prices aren't as um, good as what we've seen the last four or five years. Um, but the, those are always cyclical. I was on a, a um, an international panel not too long ago, and the first question from the panelists, uh, from the moderator, was directed at me. And the question was, Senator, we're going to have um, 20 billion more people to feed in another 20 years, and we're looking to the United States to do that. How are you going to do that? And I said, wow, you know, that that means supply and demand uh, is going to change dramatically, and that's what influences commodity prices. But the moderator was right. We're going to have a huge influx of population over the next 20 years. Now, obviously, nobody knows what the end result, the end number will be, but it's going to be more people that we got to feed. American agriculture has always fed the world. We're, our yields are up, our quality is up, and it will continue to be up. 
And I think as long as that happens, um, we know people have to have food, and I think supply and demand will will keep our prices at a level where um, we can look to the marketplace. The new farm bill, will it be a rural bill that has a farm initiative, or do you think they'll still continue to be farm bill? The next farm bill may look entirely different from any farm bill I've been involved in, uh, just because there's going to be pressure from a budgetary standpoint that's um, more difficult than even the last one, which had a significant influence on the structure and, and the makeup of that uh, the current farm bill. And, and the next one is going to just see that much more pressure. Um, I don't know what direction, ultimately, my my colleagues who will be writing that bill will have to go. But when you start spreading around the money, if if the the nutrition title sucks um, the wind out of of the budget, then uh, there's just not going to be much left for commodities. And and, um, it's going to be a very, very difficult bill to write next time around. In the 114th Congress, uh, Senator McConnell has suggested he wants to return to regular order. And you mentioned that in your closing remarks in the Senate. How important is that? Uh, it's very important. Um, we, we've been operating in a manner for the last four years that uh, is, a, is a way in which the Senate was never intended to operate. We, we didn't pass budgets. We didn't take up any appropriation bills. And we wind up with these huge omnibus bills that we're going to be voting on uh, at the end of this Congress, or we end up with continuing resolutions. That's a poor way to do business, Jeff. And whether you're a farmer or an automobile dealer or a heavy manufacturer, you need to have some stability and some security in Washington from a from a budgetary standpoint, and we just don't have that. And that's why going back to regular order of doing a budget, we have a number. Then you have appropriation bills that come out, and you you put them on the floor. You have the fights that I alluded to earlier. We had back in the nineties, but um, you have those fights, and you come out with good compromise bills. That's the way it needs to be done. The Senate has been the logjam on legislation, and now as you turn to the 114th, uh, the GOP has 54 votes in the Senate. How does that change the landscape, or does it change the landscape? It will change the landscape because you'll see different priorities and different philosophies in bills that are coming out of the Senate. Uh, You'll see a lot of similarity in what's been happening in the House the last four years and a lot more cooperation between bills that come up in the House and bills that come up in the Senate. Some of them will even be pre-conferenced because you're going to have Republican majorities in both. Um, You're going to see EPA regs and other regs that are detrimental to agriculture and the business community as a whole dealt with during the appropriation process that I think is going to have a very positive impact on the business world and particularly the ag world. Uh, So I think it's important we go back to regular order. You and five other senators had the nation's debt on your shoulders when you were a part of the Gang of Six. And I think you referenced in your closing remarks on the Senate of an $18 trillion uh, debt for the nation now. What did you learn in the Gang of Six, and what do you feel that this country is going to have to return to? Well, first 
first of all, $18 trillion is real money, and it's a real debt. It's a debt that we're having to pay interest on. And if we continue down the same path we're on right now, so the Congressional Budget Office says that by the year 2030, we the tax revenue that's projected to come in on today's um, under today's tax code will pay for entitlement programs, and it'll pay for interest on the debt. Everything else the federal government does will have to be operated on borrowed money. So we will just continue this downward spiral if we don't address this issue, if the next Congress doesn't. Now, it may not get done in two years. We found out in the Gang of Six that uh, there are a lot of people who agree with us. We had significant majority of the members of the Senate who very much agreed philosophically with what we were doing. The problem comes when you have leadership uh, that's going to have to call up these hard and tough votes and ask people to put aside their political differences and their political um, future in some cases to do what's in the best interest of the country. Uh, I was willing to do that, and there were five other guys working with me that were willing to do that. We love this country. We care about it. And I don't want to leave problems for the next generation to fix that are insurmountable. And uh, I think that there's we laid the foundation in the Gang of Six. It's not rocket science as to what's got to happen. You got to reform entitlements. You got to reduce spending, and you got to reform this crazy tax code we operate under. And if we do it right, if they do it right, then you'll generate lots more in the way of revenue without raising taxes, and our economy will just skyrocket and the world is waiting on us to act the other countries in the world have the same problem but um they're waiting for the united states to act and we've always led and i just hope we we do in the short term 20 years of service to your constituents in the state of georgia and service to the country senator chambliss the microphone's yours Jeff, I tell you, it's been a great ride. I came to Washington out of the heart of agriculture country and my state. I, I live in the southwest part of the state, and that means peanuts, cotton, and tobacco were our staple crops then, and while we're pretty much out of the tobacco area except for a few farmers, we still grow an awful lot of peanuts and cotton, and we've branched out in a big way in the produce and as well as in the corn, soybeans, and wheat right on. Um, I, I have been blessed to represent 10 million people, almost 10 million people in Georgia, and uh, a significant number of those are either farmers directly or they're involved in agribusiness and those are my friends. Those are the folks that have blessed me with uh, the opportunity to come to Washington and try to establish policies that are going to help agriculture and at the same time have given me a chance to work on any number of other issues that are significant to this country. My farmers and ranchers all over the country, and I have gotten to know thousands of them across America, are just the salt of the earth, and they're the people that make this country the great country that it is, and I have been truly humbled and honored to have a chance to travel the country and visit with farmers and ranchers and I will miss that. Uh, that that's truly the, the part of my job along with my friends here in D.C. that, that I'm going to miss. My son-in-law is a farmer and I have an 18-year-old grandson now that may want to come back to that farm and I said when I left Washington that I wanted to have farm policy in place that would allow my grandson John to come back to the farm and ensure that he would be able to 
um, uh, work on the farm in a way that would provide a quality of life for he and his family. And I think we've done that. I'm, I'm very happy with the farm policy that's in place today. I just look forward to John being able to make that decision if that's what he decides to do. I want to say to all your listeners, thank you. I've been blessed to know you and have a chance to dialogue with you. Thank you for that opportunity, and God bless you. Our thanks to U.S. Senator Saxby Chambliss, our guest this week on AgriPulse Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Robo AgriFinance, offering a comprehensive portfolio of services that give producers and agribusiness the right products to prepare for and take advantage of market opportunities. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 855-722-7766 or visit them online at RoboAg.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.